All right, good morning. Um, our scripture passage this morning actually comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The word of the Lord. Well, join me in prayer as we prepare to uh, study God's word. Father, we ask this morning that your word would be the rule by which we judge what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. And so, Father, we pray also that you would give us your Holy Spirit and that he would guide us into the truth and the truth into us. And we pray also that as we are here and as we leave this place today, that our highest delight would be to bring you glory, that we would find it in our hearts to worship, serve, and obey in new joyful ways as a result of being here this day. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I recently uh, attended a gathering where the featured speaker was a, a Wall Street executive, and uh, he uh, put on the screen behind him on the stage where he was speaking a picture, and it was a photograph of a boxer, uh, a boxer at the end of a match. And you probably have images that come to your mind when you think of a boxer, or maybe in today's crowd, MMA uh, fighter that comes to mind at the end of the match. And he was quick to point out, he said, this is the winning boxer. This is the champion. And of course, if, if you have an image that comes to mind of a victorious fighter, you know that the image is grotesque. <laughs> the image is not Instagram worthy uh, of a picture you'd want to put out there for yourself. And this uh, speaker was pointing the, this out. He said, he said uh, let's just look at this picture. He, he said, look at that swollen eye. Look how swollen it is. I almost can't see out of it. You know, look at the shape of his nose. It's not right anymore, right? Look at the blood dripping from eyes and nose and mouth. Look at the inflammation of every part of his face. And his point was that victory is a bloody mess, right? That success in anything usually involves great difficulty, challenges. That anything worth doing is going to require some resilience. It's true for the victorious boxer. It's true in business, which was his point. But of course, we all recognize there is a principle behind there that is true for all aspects of life, right? That anything worth doing 
is going to require resilience. It's going to involve difficulties and challenges. Uh, we know that's true in marriage. We know it's true in friendship. We know it's true in child rearing. Uh, we know it's true in our own personal fitness. We know it's true in our own personal professions, right? Anything worth doing is going to involve going through difficulties and going through challenges because they shape us and they improve our marriage and they improve our ability to raise kids and they improve our ability to do, to do the work better and so forth. And this morning, the writer to the Hebrews remind us, reminds us that that is a truth in the Christian life. That in the Christian life, that God intentionally lets us experience challenges and difficulties in order to shape us and improve us and grow us as his children. It uses the language of discipline. The Lord disciplines those he loves. He lets us experience sorrow. He lets us experience suffering. He even lets us experience the natural consequences of our own sins in order to teach us, to train us, to grow and to mature us. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because it's true throughout all the Bible. Of the people that God uses throughout the Bible, they all have to go through difficulty, right? Moses has to be exiled to Midian in order to be prepared to come back and lead God's people. David has to experience the consequences of his sins with Bathsheba in order to become a better king. The people of Israel have to wander in the wilderness for years in order to reach the land of promise and go through trials all throughout it. And of course, no example can be found greater than Christ himself, right? That before he can become the king of kings, he has to be the man of sorrows. And so this is part of God's economy. In God's economy, suffering always precedes glory. It was true of Christ, and it will be true of us as Christians. And it's not a defect we're experiencing. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us it's a feature that God's built in to the experience of his children. And it's because he loves his kids. And so this morning, we're going to look at this passage and just to think for a second about the nature of God's discipline and the goal of God's discipline. The nature and goal of God's discipline. First, we want to look at the nature of it that we heard about here. And actually, the word discipline, when we use it in the English language in our cultural context, we usually think of discipline as something you do with kids who are acting up, right? We think of discipline as a purely a punitive measure you inflict. And that's true in some senses, but in this, the word used uh, in the Greek here is the word paideia. It, it means more than that. It, it refers to the whole educational process that you would take a child through in order to produce a well-rounded citizen. That this is what it's referring to, that God has a curriculum, a training regiment that he has designed for each of us to go through in order to become well-rounded Christians. He permits us to experience challenges and difficulties as part of his curriculum to make us more mature followers of Christ. Somebody who is experienced, God lets people experience material poverty. And Christians who experience material poverty pray to God in ways and have a prayer life that's much different from mine. They have a deeper, richer prayer life because of the experience they've gone through of only having God as their only hope, their only help, 
their only source of refuge. They've developed a muscle through the training they've gone through, through the experience that I haven't had to develop. And so God grows our muscles. He stretches us and strains us by letting us go through difficulties and challenges. You know, my, my, my grandmother was a child of the Depression. And you quickly discovered it when you went to Meemaw's house because Meemaw's cupboards were bare. She, she only kept canned vegetables, essentially, in her cupboards. And she would be flabbergasted if she saw how much we spent buying a coffee machine recently because for her, the whole economy was about to collapse at all times. She, when she passed away, we discovered she had money at 10 different banks because she was so scared of banks collapsing. But why? Why did she live like this? She, she had means. She was a frugal, thrifty woman. But she lived like that because she had been shaped by an experience. She had gone through something that I had not gone through. And she was, it had radically transformed the way she saw money, the way uh, she saw uh, what was of value. It, it reshaped everything about her. And, and you quickly discovered it when you interacted with her. In that same way, we all go through, God lets us go through experiences so that we will look at life differently, so that we will look at him differently. He's stretching us and training us. You know, over the past few years, uh, my wife and I have started to watch these Netflix series about high-performing athletes uh, from the comfort of our own couch eating popcorn. Um, but these are, you know, Tour de France, Formula One racers, uh, NFL quarterbacks, and the, the, the part of the draw of these series is that you get to see the things you don't get to see when they're in competition, right? You get the behind the scenes, and what you discover is their life is about training. It, it owns them. This is all they do is they train. It, 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 it dictates everything about their life, right? What they can put in their body, what they eat, their sleep, however things measured. But their whole life is training, and I've discovered the reason I'm not in the Tour de France is because I haven't trained for the Tour de France. And I don't plan on it, by the way, uh, anytime soon. But this is what's required, right? If you're going to, to be able to live, uh, live up to the standard, it's going to require training. And the competition is just the fruit of much work that's happened over the course of years in their life. And the same is true for us in our own Christian maturity. Things don't happen instantaneously. The nature of God's uh, discipline is that he's growing us over time through these steady training that he permits us to experience through difficulties and challenges. And often God uses sin, sorrow, suffering to get our attention, right? To help us awaken uh, to our relationship with him and with others in new ways. You know, as parents, we're, we're told here that the reason God does this is he loves his kids. He wants to them to grow. He wants them to have better, better ways, better life, but that's going to require some suffering and challenges. And as parents, we all desire this for our children. You begin to realize it. Uh, my uh, son, Elliot, when he was in high school, called me one evening, and he informed me that he had just hit a car in Mr. T's parking lot. And I sympathize because if there was any parking lot designed for a teenager to hit a car, it is that parking lot. But, you know, we did the whole exchange insurance with the person and so forth. And then a month later, my auto insurance sent me a communication to inform me that my premium was going to increase by $125 per month. And so I went to Elliot and I said, I got news, son. I said, you owe me $125 per month. 
I needed a way for him to value his actions, right? To really appreciate the downstream consequences of what had happened. So I said, you owe me $125 a month. I said, but I'm going to make a deal with you. I said, you're coming up upon your second time to take the ACT. I said, for every point you increase your ACT score, I'll knock $25 off. And he said, that's a deal. He raised his score by five points <laughs> and wiped out the entire obligation. And I was both impressed and sad at the same time, <laughs> delighted. And it just, children do these things. <laughs> but of course, you know, I think, I think my lesson worked, right? Uh, but, but it takes things to get our attention, right, for us to now put, he had a new value on the ACT test that he didn't have before, right? Uh, he, he really gave more attention and study to it than probably he had planned to because he had a new perspective because he had gone through an experience that, that forced him to. By the way, he went to college for almost free as a result of that ACT score, so I think the lesson is hit a car in Mr. T's parking lot, right? That, that's the lesson today. No, don't do that, don't do that. But God permits us to experience things, to go through difficulties and challenges in order to get our attention and draw us closer to himself, to get us to use our, the, his gifts that he's given us in ways that maybe we weren't using them to develop these new muscles. And he does all of this because he loves his kids. And so that's the nature of God's discipline. But also we want to consider what's the goal of God's discipline. And the goal we're told here is endurance. He doesn't want us to fall short. He wants us to, to experience all the things that he has for us. And this was a particular concern to the Hebrews, the people that this letter was written to. Keep in mind that this letter is being written to Christians in the early church who were a small group who were being persecuted on account of their faith. And they were going through great suffering and great sorrow and asking themselves, is this really worth it? Is this the real thing? Should we, they were Hebrews, should we go back to the Judaism of our old uh, life? And so the writer to the Hebrews is reminding them that God's purposes in this persecution uh, is to build resilience in them, that they're not experiencing a, a defect, but a feature that God has designed. And so God wants us to experience all he has for us, and so he is letting us go through these experiences to build endurance, to build resilience, so that we, as it says, may share his holiness. You know, the, the Bible makes it clear that, you know, fruit is not instantaneous. Uh, fruit doesn't just come about, and that's the word that's used in the last verse, that God wants us to experience the fruit of righteousness. And it takes time, right? It takes time for fruit to grow. My, my wife uh, keeps a, a garden uh, next to our home, and uh, it's, it is a summertime hobby of hers, and she finds great delight in homegrown tomatoes. Uh, her family sings songs about it. They, they, they have all these rituals. But some people look forward to going to the beach and other things, but she grew up in a home where you looked forward to homegrown tomato in the summer. Uh, and it was worth all the toil and all the having to go out and do the watering and the soil and all those things just to experience that. I, I just grew up watching Cosby Show. I didn't really do any of that growing up. But I appreciate watching her go about it and uh, really admire her for it. But uh, I get to enjoy the fruits of that labor. It takes time, right? you got to go out and check and make sure things aren't getting to it and the things you need to get to it are getting to it and so forth. In similar ways, the goal 
that God has for us is going to take time. Uh, it's going to take uh, toil. It's going to take some tools. Uh, it's going to take some light. It's going to take some water. But God is supplying everything over time that is going to be needed to produce in us the fruit of righteousness. You know, the, probably the better word I would use here instead of discipline is training or education. The Lord educates. He trains those he loves. And I had an experience in my own education that greatly shaped me to this day. And that was in fourth grade. Mrs. Smith called on me. She was my fourth grade teacher. And she called on me to read a passage out loud in class. And so I did as instructed. And she, she said, Andy, she said, you're not speaking up or clearly enough. So she said, do it again. So I did it again. She said, still not. She said, come up front. So I came up front, stood in the front of the class. She says, now try it. She goes, really concentrate on being open and clear. I did it. She's like, no, you're still you're not doing it enough. So she came and with her hands took my mouth, you know, and showed, stretched my mouth open to show me just how much she wanted me to stretch my mouth. Well, you can imagine as a fourth grader, this is the stuff of dreams, right? Yeah. <laughs> to be singled out, to be called up front, to have the teacher's hands. You know, you, you just know that when it comes to PE that day, the guys are going to give you all the stuff uh, coming at you for the way the teacher treated you. But I will tell you this, after that experience, I never had any other teacher accuse me of mumbling because that experience taught me I do not want to be called up front again and humbled in front of my classmates like that again. And so I concentrated anytime I was asked to read something aloud to do so clearly to have uh, intentional enunciation so that I could avoid that episode again. But all of us have those uh, experiences, <laughs> uh, some invited, some uninvited, some pleasant, some unpleasant experiences that have shaped us into who we are, right? And this is the purpose for which God allows us to go through physical afflictions, emotional afflictions, right? Relational afflictions. This is the reason God permits us uh, to experience sometimes, like I said, the consequences of our own sin is, is in order for us to grow the muscles, to grow the endurance and resilience needed to experience the fruit of righteousness. You know, I said earlier uh, that illustration that was given about the boxer, where the boxer, even in his victory, you, it's very obvious there's been a great fight well, the, the same is true of Christ. And that's how the passage begins, actually. Go back one verse to verse 3. Consider him who endured. And it's talking about Christ there. It says, consider him who endured hostility that we haven't had to resist to the point of shedding blood. But there's a, if you go forward in the Bible to the book of Revelation, that when the uh, Apostle John is given a vision to see inside the throne room of heaven, where the saints are gathered, the angelic host, the martyrs, and the apostles. He says, there at the center, in Revelation 5, there at the center stood a lamb, and then he says this, who appeared as though it had been slain. So think about it for a second. John says that when we are gathered in the throne room of God and we see Christ in his most glorious, exalted, resurrected state, that it will be very apparent to us that he suffered, that he bears the marks of the cross still. And for all of eternity, we'll be reminded that his glory was preceded by his suffering for us. That this was the way God designed for his own son, and it continues to be his educational curriculum for all of his children. And that we can know 
that Christ has endured great suffering and that he has done so for us and that he's done so that we can enjoy the fruits of righteousness and the blessings that God has for us for all eternity. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the endurance of Jesus Christ, who, as it says, was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And Father, we have not been asked to walk that road, and we are thankful for it. And so we praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, for your life, death, and resurrection today. And we do pray that you would help us to, Father, uh, look at our own trials and challenges and to see your hand in it, to see you shaping it and using us, using it to shape who we are and to grow us as your children. That, Father, instead of feeling abandoned, may we see that this is what a good father does for children that he loves. And so, Father, this morning I pray especially for those who may be particularly experiencing challenges from sin, sorrow, and suffering today. Father, would you particularly be near unto them and enable them in the midst of it to look to you by faith and to have hope. And Father, we pray, help us all to endure that we may enjoy the fruit of righteousness. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we prepare to come to this table to celebrate the work of Christ on our behalf, we're going to confess our sin together. You'll find in your bulletin a confession of sin uh, printed there for you. You know, we don't say it in the bulletin, but there's an assumption that underlies our confession of sin, but probably should be made explicit. And that is we're inviting you to confess your sin, not somebody else's, okay? So it's easy to talk about other people's sins. It's, it's, it's a little more difficult for us to talk about our own. But this morning, as we prepare to come to this table, uh, it is to do just that. It is to confess that we're not worthy of this table, but that God in his mercy has secured uh, it for us and uh, invites us to come. So join me in this confession of sin. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Take these next few moments in silence to confess your own particular sins to God.